Um, we're going to be in the book of John, chapter 21, and we are going to be in a, in a series called Rhetorical Questions. And uh, questions are powerful. I don't know if you know this, um, but uh, questions actually can be sometimes more powerful than the answer. And if you're a teacher, you know this. Uh, the best teachers I know are people who know how to ask really good questions. You know that? Uh, they know how to just ask the right question at just the right time. And, and maybe you've got a story like that where you were cruising through life and that friend or that teacher or that coach asked just the right question. And, and it just, it got in your head and it got into your heart and it changed your life. And questions are powerful like that. So rhetorical questions, if you don't know what they are, they're simply a question that takes you somewhere that doesn't demand a specific answer. And so it's a, it's a rhetorical question. It's a question that, that brings you into a certain topic, but you can kind of answer it however you want to. It's a rhetorical question. And so what we know about Jesus is he asked lots of questions. We have over 300 questions in, in, in the Gospels that Jesus asked. He loved to ask questions, and, and when people talk about Jesus, it's funny, what people often say is Jesus is the answer, right? He's the answer, and, and I believe that Jesus is the answer, but it's funny, um, and if you're a Christian, you know this, when you find Jesus, you realize you don't have all the answers, right? When you find Jesus, in fact, you realize you have more questions than ever, and so it's funny, so the, the people following Jesus, we have recorded about 183 questions that they asked Jesus and do you know how many questions he gave direct answers to? About eight of those. So think about that. About eight of those 183 questions that are asked of Jesus, he actually gave straight answers to. The rest he allowed them to wrestle with. And this is going to push some of you because I know that a lot of us have this certain perspective on, on, on God or the church that if I just take the right class, if I just read the right uh, books, or if I just read the whole Bible, then I will, I will know God, right? I will have achieved everything that I need to achieve when really this is a process, isn't it? This is a journey. I, I, was, I was reading this week, there was a study done in the UK about questions and um, of all the people, different demographics and and uh, genders, the, the ones that ask the most questions, this won't surprise you, four-year-old girls. Four-year-old girls are the ones that ask the most questions. Uh, 390 questions per day. That's one question every one minute and 56 seconds. Will the mamas say amen, right? I know how that feels. Just question after question after question. We ask questions. We want to learn, and that's how we grow. And many people ask Jesus questions, and Jesus also asked questions that would penetrate the hearts of the listeners. And so we're taking eight questions that Jesus asked, and we're, we're talking about those questions, and they are deep, and they go deep into our souls, and they show us that there is a journey that we're on. And he doesn't tell you what the right answer is supposed to be. He allows you to wrestle with God and with the Spirit that lives within you. And he allows you to, to work this process out. And if you want to write something down, write this down. Following Jesus isn't, an, uh, isn't a conclusion, it's an invitation. It's not the end, it's just the beginning. It's just the start of this journey that we're on if you become a follower of Jesus. And I don't know where you're at in this room. If you've been a Christian for uh, 50, 60, 80 years, uh, maybe you can't think of a time that you didn't go to church. Or maybe you're brand new in this faith and, and maybe you just said yes to Jesus two weeks ago. What you need to consider is that no matter where you're at on that spectrum, everyone in this room is actually, in, in the grand scheme of, of our eternity with God, we're all at the very beginning of our understanding of God. Does that make sense? 
Like, like there is nobody here that's like, well, man, I'm way farther than you. Because in the, in the grand scheme of our eternity with God, we will spend the rest of our existence understanding God's love in deeper ways. We'll spend the rest of our existence understanding his goodness in deeper ways. And so I don't know where you're at, but we all kind of stand together at the very beginning. At just the very beginning of understanding who God is. And, and you've got to live through this stuff. And, and if you're a more mature believer, you know that... Man, you can know the head knowledge and you can know the verses and you can have the right answers, but when God shows up in your life at just the right time, you understand facets of his love and his goodness that you could have never got through reading a book. You could have never got through taking a class. Following Jesus is not a conclusion. It is an invitation. It's the very beginning. So the question we are wrestling with today is this. Do you love me? Not me, uh, but Jesus. Do you love Jesus. And so in a church in this setting, uh, it'd be very easy for all of you to be like, yes, I do. I love Jesus. Jesus is the answer. You said it, Brian. I love Jesus. But this question goes really, really deep. So I want to take you back to Easter morning. Uh, We've got Jesus. He has gone to the cross. He has been resurrected. We've got these three ladies that go to the tomb of Jesus to go anoint the body. When they arrive, there is an angel. The, the stone has been rolled away. When they go inside the tomb, they speak to this angel. They're freaking out, right? Because a uh, stone's not supposed to be rolled away. Jesus is supposed to be there, and they're talking to an angel. That's kind of crazy. So they're freaking out, talking to this angel, and the angel says, don't be scared. Don't be afraid. He is risen, right? He's alive. Good news. It's so interesting. And then he says this in verse 7, but go, uh, Mark 16, verse 7, but go, Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Okay, so the message this angel brings to these ladies is go tell the disciples about this, that Jesus is alive, and Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you're going to see him. So hey, go. He's, you're going to see him. Go tell these people. And so these ladies, they, they go back. And they tell the disciples, imagine them gathering the disciples together saying, you guys will not believe this. He's alive. He's not dead. And imagine these disciples standing around and then there's Peter, right? And we've been talking a lot about Peter lately. He's just kind of uh, somebody that I've been studying a lot lately. Um, But Peter, imagine Peter kind of sitting in the corner. Remember Peter denied Jesus three times? Jesus said that he would deny him and Peter's like, I'd never do that. I love you, Jesus. I'd never do something like that. He does it, right? He denies Jesus three times. So here's Peter, you know, I'd imagine him kind of sitting in the corner in the shadows, a little sheepish look on his face, and and these ladies are are very excited, and they're like, Jesus is alive, and he's kind of lighting up, and he's wondering, what does this mean? What what does this mean? I denied him. I I, I rejected him. What does this mean? And I I almost wonder, like, as they're telling the disciples, hey, Jesus is alive. He's going to come and and see you. The, The angel told us to tell you disciples this. And imagine Peter like piping up from the corner like, and Peter? Like me too? Like, like did, did he mean me too? Did, did, did they say to tell me? Because I know they, he said to tell the disciples, but really like me too. And it's so interesting that the angel literally says Peter by name. Make sure you tell the disciples and make sure Peter's in the room because he needs to hear this. He needs to hear this, that Jesus 
is alive. So if you, if you don't have your Bibles open, open up to John 21. You can grab one of the black Bibles in the seat in front of you, or if you are not um, a, a reader, um, an opener of a Bible, you can open up the, uh, or follow the screen behind me and, and just follow along there. Um, but we are going to read through a passage here. And so at this point, they're all waiting for Jesus, and Jesus is going to arrive. And they're just wondering what to do in the meantime, and so they decide to go fishing. Peter says, let's do what we always do. Let's go fishing. And so if you've read the story, you know they go out on the water and they're just kind of wondering what's going to happen. Where's Jesus? And they've got this quiet time in the boat, I'd imagine. Um, if you've ever been fishing, you know you get a lot of thinking time on the water, especially when nothing is biting because they spend the entire night on the water and they catch nothing. Terrible night of fishing. And we, we all hate that, right? And they wake up the next morning, whether they've slept on the boat or been fishing all night long, but they've, they, the, the sun comes up and they look at the beach and there's this guy on the beach and he goes, hey, haven't you caught any fish? Like giving him a hard time, right? And they're like, no, we haven't caught anything. And he's like, throw the net on the other side of the boat. And they're like, well, that's stupid. But uh, what, what do we have to lose? We haven't caught anything. And so they throw the net on the other side of the boat and you maybe know the story. They, they haul in a lot of fish. They haul in 153 fish. Uh, more fish than they've maybe seen ever. This is like a year's worth of their income they haul in in one load of fish. And Peter looks back to the beach and he's like, it is the Lord. Not, that wasn't just anybody giving us good fishing advice, right? This wasn't like the guy from Cabela's. This was like Jesus himself on the beach saying, throw your net over the other side. I'm going to show you a miracle just to show you who I am. And, and so Peter freaks out and he jumps out of the boat. It's funny, it, the, the, the text says he throws clothes on. So I don't know if they're like fishing naked or what, but he throws clothes on and he jumps into the water. I'd go the other way, but he, throw, he jumps into the water, swims to Jesus. The other guys are getting the nets and all the things together into the boat. And then when he gets to the shore, I just imagine this like awkward encounter. You know, like, where you're really excited to see that person, and then you get to that person, and you, you're like, I wanted to give you a hug, or, you know, or embrace, embrace you somehow, but now I'm not sure if you can receive this, because you know that I denied, last thing I did was say, I, I don't want anything to do with you, I, I don't acknowledge you as a, as a friend, or as my rabbi, the last thing I did was deny you, and so I'd imagine this awkward encounter between Peter and Jesus, and he looks down and there's this fire that's lit and Jesus is making some food and the other disciples roll in and then they just sit there on the beach. It's just a beautiful morning. Just imagine, they sit there on the Sea of Galilee enjoying this great location, this, this great food and laughing together as friends just like they used to. And so this is where we pick up the story in John 21 verse 15. It says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? So that's interesting language. Now, Jesus has created kind of a really, maybe the best morning of their year, right? I mean, this is really a great morning. Uh, they have caught like a year's worth of their salary in fish, and they've also got their friend back, and it's just this beautiful morning. They're with their friends, and Jesus is like, look at all of what we have around us. Do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. 
So here what we have is really the public restoration of Peter. Peter is guilty. Um, He denied Christ three times. And so Jesus chooses to ask Peter three times, do you love me? And three times Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You see, Peter, I'm wondering in this moment, he's feeling all of this insecurity and wondering what's next and wondering how God is going to use him. And we know, uh, as we've walked through some things in the book of Acts, that God uses Peter in amazing ways. We read this passage last week about how Peter preaches the first Christian sermon, uh, the Christ, first Christ-based sermon, and 3,000 people get saved. It is the beginning of the church. And if you have a pen, write this down. Peter's failure made him the perfect candidate for ministry. This man, I'm sure, was very insecure, wondering, what, what's next for me? And Jesus, in this moment, says, okay, you love me. I'm going to give you a job to do. I'm going to give you work to be done as one who loves me, and it's to feed my sheep. And if you know that language in the Bible, the sheep are often, uh, it's a language used for the church, for God's people. And so Jesus is literally commissioning Peter, telling him, I've got a job for you to do. I want you to build my church. I want you to care for my people. I want you to feed my people. And what he's going to do as as he continues on here is he's going to really redefine love for Peter because Peter thinks he knows what it means to love Jesus, right? I I love Peter. He just, he seems, he's kind of got this emotional response to things and he's like, yes, you know that I love you. This frustration, why do you keep asking me? I love that he says this, Lord, you know my heart. You know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus is, I'd imagine saying, yes, I know your heart. That's why I keep asking you to love me. Isn't it funny how we deceive ourselves? Isn't it funny how, if I were to ask you, do you love Jesus? We'd be like, oh yeah, I love Jesus, right? And football, and my car, and my, the mountains outside, and my job. Like, I love a lot of things. And we kind of have, we throw this word love around. But Jesus is like, no, this is going to be different. This is going to be a kind of love that, that you may not be ready and willing to say that you have for me yet. Verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Kind of a rough prophecy from Jesus. Verse 19, This, he said, uh, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Okay, so Jesus calls to Peter again. Says, I want you to just follow me. Remember when I asked you to do that a long time ago? I just want you to do it again. Just follow me. But here's the deal. Here's what it's going to mean to follow me. It's going to mean death. It's going to mean that you're going to be crucified. We know historically that Peter was crucified and he chose to be crucified upside down because he did not see it fit that he would be crucified the same way Jesus was crucified. And so this is Jesus' prophecy for the life of Peter. Guess what? You're going to be taken to places you don't want to go by people you don't like and they're going to do things to you that you don't want them to do and you're going to die for me, right? Kind of a rough prophecy, which I don't know for you what you've heard about following Jesus. I don't know what you think is coming for you if you say yes to Jesus. But this is very different than the health and wealth gospel, right? It's very different than the you're going to get some money and your life's going to get easy and you're going to get healed. Just follow Jesus. It's going to be great, right? That's not the sermon Jesus gave to Peter. He said, basically, you're going to die if you do this. 
Let me ask you again, do you love me? Do you love me? What does it really mean to love God? Here's what it doesn't mean. Like, I guess we could start on the other end. Here's what it's not about. It's not just to believe in God. Because we know even the demons believe in God and they shudder. That's what the scriptures say. The demons believe in God. They know there is a God. If you're here today and you're like, I believe in God, that doesn't mean you love him. You can believe in me. You can see me on this stage. It doesn't mean you love me, right? You might not love me. You might love me a little less at the end of the sermon. But I'm just saying, it doesn't mean that you love me. It doesn't mean that you've come from the right background, the right church background. It doesn't mean you grew up as a Christian. It doesn't mean you have all of the theology down. That doesn't necessarily mean that you love God. It doesn't mean that you've lived a perfect life. Once again, Peter, because of his mistakes, I believe that's why God chose to use Peter to establish the church. Of all of the people in the room, Peter was going to be uh, one who understood the grace by which he was saved in just a deeper way, right? I mean, he had denied Jesus denied the Messiah. He would go down in history as a failure, at least for that season of his life, right? And that's who God chooses to use to build his church. And he says this, he says, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. So it's so interesting, Jesus gives an action to the belief, right? He actually says that if you're going to say that you love me, here's what love is going to look like. And I think we know this intuitively, right? We know this, that, that you can't love somebody without it coming out of your life in some way or another. If, if that's how it is, that's not love, correct? I mean, you can't say like, I love my wife, but I don't spend any time with her, right? Uh, you can't say that, right? You're going to try to spend time with her. You're going to try to encourage her. You're going to try to build her up. And so when we love something, whatever it is, it's, it's a hobby you have, it's a passion. You, if you love fishing, you're going to drop all the money that you got on that new fishing boat with the glitter paint on the side, right? Because you love fishing. I mean, when you love something, you pour yourself out and you do whatever it takes to take care of it. Jesus says, if you love me, here, here's my love language. Anybody read the love languages book? You ever read the five love, love languages? Jesus says, my love language is this, feed my sheep care for my people, build my church. That's, he's like, that's how I'm going to know that you love me because you're going to care for my bride. And that's how the Bible talks about the church, that we are the bride of Christ. And so Jesus is like, this is what love for Jesus looks like. You're going to love the church. Which is why it's so strange to me in today's society. A lot of people are like, I really love Jesus, but I kind of hate the church. Maybe you've met people who are like that. No, no, I love Jesus. I can respect Jesus. Uh, no, you know, I love him. That's, that's great. But I kind of hate the church. Just strange, right? I mean, what if you did that to me? You're like, yeah, Brian, I love you, but I hate your wife, right? We're not going to hang out, right? We're not going to be best friends. That's going to be really awkward in the relationship. You see, if you're going to love Jesus, you're going to love the church. And that's what uh, the message is here, is that Peter, his love was to to, to, to be responded by, by loving the church. And write this down. We will serve to the same degree that we love Jesus. You see, we have love in varying degrees, don't we? Uh, we love some things a little bit more than others, and love looks really different depending on what we're talking about. But what Jesus is talking about is being a servant to the church, sharing the good news, uh, being a, a proclaimer of the gospel, and this is a hard one to swallow, I know, for some of you, because you're like, but Brian, I love Jesus. Maybe you're Peter in the room. You're like, no, I love him. Feed his sheep. Care for his people. Build the church. Share the gospel. Serve in the name of Jesus. That's what it looks like to love Jesus. 
He's trying to ask Peter, really, how far would you go for me? Like, how much do you really love me? Do you love me all the way? Uh, The kids would text it something like this, right? Like, Peter, do you love me like a hundred, right? Right? Like all the way, like a hundred percent. Do you love me with everything that you have? Are you willing to do anything for me to the point of death? Because that's going to be the result of you building the church. So not only are you going to do what I'm asking you to do to show your love for me, but your, your gift at the end of this is going to be crucifixion. Like that's what you're going to receive. That's your wages for doing exactly what I'm asking you to do, to show your love for me. Do you love him with everything that you have? Now, when, when I look at the life of the disciples, sometimes I feel like I, I take things and I, I, I apply them to, the, to today and I'm like, man, I don't think they had anything better to do than follow Jesus, you know? I mean, they're probably kind of bored anyway. No iPhones, no internet. I mean, it's a different world at that point. But I was just thinking about this moment that we find Jesus on the beach with these guys, the Sea of Galilee. And I don't know if you've ever been to the Holy Land, but it's amazing. Like, it is beautiful. And I think we forget that these people had jobs. They had friends. They had work to be done. They had to feed themselves. In fact, it was probably harder to feed themselves than we have uh, difficulty feeding ourselves. I mean, they had this beautiful place. I'm sure they wanted to go fishing and, 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 and camping and, and go out and, and hiking and enjoy this beautiful place that they live in. I think sometimes we separate ourselves from the disciples. We're like, yeah, they had time to establish the church, but I'm kind of busy, right? Because we, uh, we in Alaska, right? Or I got this, this family and I got all these things. And so I, I think sometimes we, we think that, man, we don't really have time for this stuff. Think about this. Peter's sitting around a fire. He's caught 153 fish, like a year's worth of food. He's hanging out with his friends. And Jesus is like, do you love me more than these? If I asked you, do you love me more than these? What would these be? What are the things in your life that you're like, ah, yeah, I'd build the church. I would be an agent of grace to our community. I would share the gospel. Uh, I'd be more involved in one way or another, but meh, right? I, I think it was intentional that Jesus created like a really beautiful moment that morning. I think Jesus wanted to create maybe, maybe the best morning of Peter's life and just put him in that moment to say, Peter, do you love me more than this? More than a full stomach? You know, more than these friends that are around you? More than a, a year's worth of wages? What do you love me more than? And here's what's so interesting is when Jesus asks him about love, you see, we don't have a lot of words for love. We just have the word love. But in the Greek language, they have different words. And maybe you heard this talked about at your wedding. But the the word that, that Jesus uses for love is the word agape, which is a selfless, sacrificial, I'll give up anything for you love. It's the kind of love that keeps a marriage together. It's the kind of love that keeps people going, especially when they don't really like each other right now, right? It's agape, self-sacrificial, I'll do anything for you, love. And when, when Peter responds, it's so interesting. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And the, the term love that Peter uses is the term phileo, which if you know what that means, it means brotherly love, like Philadelphia, right? It's, it's brotherly love. So Jesus says, do you love me with this self-sacrificial, I'll give up anything for you, love? And, G- and Peter's like, yeah, I love you like my homie. Right? I love you like my brother. I love you like my, like my friend. Absolutely. Jesus is my friend. That's great. And he goes on to continue to ask Peter, but Peter, do you love me like this? Like all the way? Because that's what, that's what it's going to take to do what I'm calling you to do. 
I mean, it, it would take that kind of love for Peter to finally end up dying for this truth. So I want to ask you again today, do you love Jesus? What does that mean for you? Like, just let that dig down in your soul a little bit. Do you love Jesus? Here's how Jesus puts it in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What Jesus is doing is he's drawing a comparison. He's saying, think of somebody in your life that you love more than anybody. Just think of that person right now. Who do you love more than anybody? Is it a, is it a family member? Is it like, you know, a parent? Is it a spouse? Is it a sibling? Who do you love more than anybody? And Jesus is saying, the love that you have for them should look like hatred compared to the love that you have for me. That's how people will know that you're my disciple. Is you will be so committed, so loving, so willing to do anything to the point of death like Peter. To care for people. To do what I love, to, to, to show love in my way. And those of you who have read the Love Languages book know that that's what it's all about. Like, we think we show love in our way, and that's going to work, and you married people know that don't work. You've got to find what love is for that person. See, for us, loving Jesus is like, I went to church on Sunday, Brian. Come on, give me a break. You know, loving Jesus is, I read my Bible for 15 minutes. Jesus is like, I want you to build my church. Are you doing that? I want you to to sacrifice yourself to the point of death. I want your love for me to make your love for your spouse or your friends look like hatred. It's crazy. Some of you are like, that's a little too far, Jesus. Well, I guess that brings us back to the question, do you love Jesus? Because this is what he's saying. This is how far Jesus goes. Which brings up the question, what does it look like to feed his sheep, right? What does it look like to feed his people? So every single week we gather as a church. And we all do some feeding. We all do. We're all feeding a little bit today. So my kids will be in Illuminate downstairs. And they will be learning from some of you and and from uh, some other leaders. And they will learn about Jesus. And so because of the work that people are doing downstairs, I will be fed. My family will be fed. My kids will be fed. And so I'm doing some feeding here. Uh, Right now here in church, you're hearing the word of God. I'm kind of throwing this at you. And you're receiving to whatever degree this, this teaching uh, that, we're, that we're having this morning. You walked in and maybe you got a cup of coffee. Or maybe somebody shook your hand. Um, maybe during the week you had a, an ACF group that you were a part of that somebody opened up their house. And, and after you left, that couple, they spent an hour cleaning the floor and doing dishes and taking care of that house. And they did it all because they love you. Uh, maybe, maybe you fed in that. Maybe you called this week and you met with one of the pastors and you were like, hey, would you just pray for me? And you did some feeding, right? You see, there's nothing wrong with feeding. We, we all do this to some degree or another. Maybe somebody's teaching you. Maybe somebody's mentoring you. We all do that. I do that. I think we all should do that. But what Jesus is telling Peter to do is to feed. He's saying, Peter, it's not enough just to be a feeder. Like, you actually need to feed others, care for others. I think about this. What are the things that are keeping maybe Peter from being a feeder? Maybe shame in his life, right? Maybe Peter's dealing with shame right before Jesus. Jesus is like, do you love me? I want you to feed my sheep. And I'm sure Peter's like, you want me to do what? Uh, I'm just surprised you're talking to me. I'm just surprised that we're even hanging out together because I wasn't even sure how you'd feel about me. And you want me to do what? You want me to build the church? You want me to feed your sheep? 
I couldn't do that. Shame, busyness, Peter, I'm sure he's thinking, well, we just, I don't know, tossed the net over this side of the boat. He's like, what if we do that again tomorrow? I mean, let's just keep making money. Let's, I mean, make hay while the sun is shining. Let's keep doing that. Peter had busyness drawing him away. Maybe Peter didn't want to be judged by people because people knew what Peter did. Maybe he thought, if I were to be a, a, somebody who's speaking um, in the name of Jesus, if I were to be somebody who is be, being used in that way or serving, somebody's going to judge me like, oh, you don't deserve to do that. I know what you did. I know where you've been. Maybe he feels judged by people. Maybe he's lost his vision. He's so focused on everything that looks so terrible, he's just lost this vision for the kingdom of God that Jesus had spent these three years casting this vision for. There was something else better to live for. And I would just think all of these things we would struggle with just as much, right? Maybe you're here today and you're like, yeah, I struggle with shame. Um, That's why if you were to ask me, Brian, why am I not serving the body in some way or another? I would say it's because I don't feel qualified. It's because of something that I did or something that I continue to do that I would say disqualifies me from being used by God in the church. Once again, God chose Peter on purpose. God does nothing haphazardly. He chose Peter on purpose. Maybe you're busy. I get it. I hear people say this a lot. You're like, I'm too busy to read the Bible, right? But how many of you this week, you just gave up Facebook and all of a sudden you're like, I read the Bible all the time. It's amazing. I've got lots of time to read the Bible. It's all about what we care about, isn't it? It's just, it's simply priorities. We have way more time than we realize. And some of you have told me that, man, Brian, I just feel like there's more space in my life. Amazing how that works. I am just as convicted as you are, by the way. So maybe you don't like people. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I just don't want to be around people. I don't want to be judged by people. I just think people are judgmental and I just don't have a love for people. Once again, Jesus says, do you love me? I want you to love my church. I want you to feed my church. I want you to care for my people. That's what it means to love me. And so you got to dig down deep and go, where does this come from? If I don't love the church, if I don't love the people, where, where, where is this coming from? Maybe you've lost your vision and, and you are so focused on the urgency of the immediate that you can't think of the future. And you've been thinking of life in, in days and hours instead of in weeks and months and years. And you're just like, Brian, I don't know if I can be on a schedule for anything because I'm like, I'm so busy and I don't know, you know, what's coming next. And it's like, just, just slow down, catch the vision, the rhythms of Jesus' grace, and you'll begin to know where and how and when to serve. You see, the biggest thing I think that we have is simply this. We're selfish. Can I get an Amen. We're selfish. Um, I told somebody this the other day. I didn't realize how selfish I was until I had children. And I realize more and more every single day how selfish I am. I'm still realizing how selfish I am. I don't think I'm going to spend, I think I'm going to spend the rest of my life learning how selfish I really am. I just, there's this journey that we're on and things will happen in your life. And maybe it's something different. And maybe it's a coworker that you're just like, I cannot stand them. And you realize, man, I'm, I'm selfish. Um, I am the priority in my life. And everything else sort of revolves around me. Peter, his issue was selfishness, I believe. I think that Jesus was digging deep for Peter here because he knew that Peter had a selfishness problem. What was the reason that Peter had denied Jesus? Fear for self, right? Peter's like, what's going to happen to me if I, if I acknowledge that I'm been a follower of Jesus? 
So out of simply self-preservation, Jesus in this moment, or, or Peter in this moment, he denies Jesus and says, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know anything about this guy. I don't know the man. So Peter had a selfishness problem and Jesus is trying to dig deep in Peter's life and say, you know what, that's what's keeping you uh, from being a servant to the church. So do you love me? Because you're going to put yourself aside and you're going to put me um, first in your life. So uh, I'm going to talk about three different types of people here today. The first, I would call them eaters. And uh, we all do this to some extent. Uh, Like I said, we're all uh, receiving something today. You are an eater because here you are, you're showing up to church. Uh, you know, you're going you're gonna to allow yourself, hopefully, to, to sing and to honor God as we worship together. You're going to receive this, this morning as people have served you and seated you and taken care of you in different ways, and you're an eater, and, and that's great. And if you're brand new here, I am just, here's the thing, we are honored to serve you. I just want you to know that. Like, like I am honored to be able to, I, I, I feel inadequate to even be up here, to be able to share the word with you, but I feel honored that we get to serve you in, in any way. So we are honored to do that, and I know that our, our people who are serving feel that way as well. And there's this real heart in our church, and I love the people who wear this love all, serve all t-shirts, because there is this real heart among them that, that I'm just going to pour myself out for others. Zero expectation. Don't do nothing for me. And, and, and so, so that's, that's an eater, somebody who is coming to church, and that's kind of step one. It's stage one. If you're a new Christian or you're just checking out church and you don't even believe this stuff yet, stage one is like, hey, just kind of tell me what you guys believe. Watch my kids, you know, uh, get me a cup of coffee and I'm just going to soak this in for a little while. And if that's you, then that's awesome. I'm glad that you're here. But there is a progression and a journey. The second type of person uh, I would call feeders. And Jesus is asking Peter to be a feeder. He's like, Peter, I I want you to do more than simply to receive. I want you to give. Out of the abundance of what I have given you. Imagine in that moment Peter was feeling a little grateful that Jesus was talking to him and receiving him as a friend and grateful that Jesus wasn't dead, he was actually alive and grateful that what he'd spent these years uh, learning about was actually true, that Jesus was the Messiah. I mean, there's a lot of gratitude in Peter's heart probably right now. And from that gratitude, Jesus is like, here's what love looks like. It like It looks like you serve others. Uh, to the same degree that you love me, you will serve others. And so Jesus is like, do you love me with this self-sacrificial, I'll do anything for you, love? And if you do, then you will feed my sheep. These are feeders. These are people who have the shirts on this morning. These are many of you who, uh, you're here today, but typically you're part of making ministry happen. Uh, you're the kind of person that when you meet somebody, you think in terms of the kingdom of God. Like, how can I help this person get one step closer to Jesus? You're the kind of person that when people at work are sharing about what's going on at home, that they're less of an inconvenience, but you see that as an opportunity to lean in and go, man, what's going on in your life? And to, 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 to ask them, hey, where, where's, where's Jesus in all of this? You just, you're, a, you're a feeder, you're a giver. You tend to make things happen. And I want to encourage you, if you've been an eater at ACF Church, to take a step forward because that's what love looks like. And, and if you're here today and you're like, man, Brian must be having a hard time filling up the teams for the summer. Uh, we're not. We're not. We're doing okay. This is not about us. This is about you. This is about your heart. I truly want something for you. And talk to anybody with these shirts on today. Ask them this question. Do you get more than you give? And they will all say, absolutely. I serve here every week, but I receive way more than I ever give. And that's what it's like to serve. 
And if you're here today and you're like, Brian, I am a feeder. Like, I am. I'm on a team. I'm serving in one way or another. I am, I am caring for the church. I want you to take one step forward from that and become a leader. I made that rhyme. Thank you very much. Spend some time on that. Become a leader. Become somebody who engages and builds other leaders. Don't stop at, at, at somebody calling you to be on a team. Step up and say, hey, uh, team leader, could I help organize people? Could I help mobilize people? Here's the, here's the unique thing about ACF Church. Is we have a lot of amazingly gifted and trained and talented individuals in this church. It's amazing to me. We have business owners and, and people who have other people who are working underneath them. We have military. The military has spent millions of dollars training many of you on leadership. Here's the thing. The church needs you. And that ability can be brought right into the church and used in amazing ways. Many of you have already figured this out. You're like, this is awesome, right? All this training, like, and we're using it for the church. Uh, you're leading children at home. You're figuring out how to, how to organize them and keep them. You can organize some people, right? You can organize a couple three-year-olds. You can get some adults to do some stuff. You can do that, right? Maybe you're a leader in your school or wherever it is and you're leading your friends and you're, maybe you're a coach and you're coaching people. You have leadership abilities and I, here's the thing, the church needs you. Don't just sit on the side and go, man, I don't, I'll just kind of receive uh, the feeding or I'll just, you know, do the feeding occasionally. Step up again and say, I'm willing to lead. We, we want you to do that. We want you to do that. So once again, I want you to ask, ask you this question. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Because if you love him, you're going to feed his sheep. If you love him, it's going to flow from your life in a lot of different ways. And you're going to be willing to do a lot. Um, we've got uh, some family in town. I've got my father-in-law and my mother-in-law in town. And uh, we were talking this week. I- I've shared with you guys a while back that my father-in-law was diagnosed with uh, stage four bone cancer uh, earlier this year. And so we went back home and spent some time with them and um, had some long conversations about how to step forward in that and uh, what we're going to do. And, and uh, my father-in-law's name is Cliff. And, and, and we were just, he and I were talking this week about this particular situation um, because we were trying to figure out what does treatment look like? What does it look like to step forward in this? There's chemotherapy, there's these different natural things. And, and if you've ever gone through uh, cancer treatment, you know that this is, a, this is a journey. There's lots of information coming at you. And so as, as we're talking with Cliff, I'm like, Cliff, what do you, you want to do? How do you want to receive treatment? How do you want to step forward? And, and uh, if you know anything about chemo, you know it's really expensive. And, uh, and there's other natural ways. And, and he was being really resistant to the chemo. And, and, uh, and finally, like, we, we realized for the chemo, it was going to be like, is, you could buy a really nice car for what the chemo was going to cost every month. And so we're going, man, this is a lot of money. And but I, still, I was trying to gauge, what does he want to do? Does he want to go natural? Does he want to do chemo? And then I, I finally asked him this question. I was like, hey, if it was free, would you do the chemo? And he's like, oh, absolutely. I'm like, okay, so this is a money conversation. You know, I didn't know what it was about. This is a money conversation. He goes, oh, absolutely, right? He's like, I just don't, I don't want my family to have to spend all this money, you know, on, on pills for me, you know? And, and so then I'm like, this begs the next question. All of us are, you know, we love this man. You know, all of us are like, man, uh, so my, my next question is, well, so what is your budget for your life, basically? You know, how much are you willing to spend? Like, if it, you know, if it was this much, if we drop it down just a little bit, would you spend that? And, and you know, he's, fine. he's like, eh, a little less, a little less, till the point that, you know, we got some, some medical coverage and he was able to get uh, what he needed. But it was such an interesting conversation, and I was thinking about that, talking with him this week, because I was like, you know what's funny about that? Is had the roles been reversed, had it been anybody else in that situation, 
you would sell your house and you would give up everything you have to get us the treatment we needed. You would do anything, but when it came to yourself, you're like, I don't know. I just don't want to leave my family with this issue and spend all this money on me, you know? And, And I was just like, I was thinking about that this week and I'm like, man, I think that most of us live the other way around. I think most of us have an unlimited budget for ourselves when it comes to what we'll do and how far we'll go. But when it comes to others, man, we're, we're, we're tightwads, right? I just wonder for you, how far are you willing to go for another person? And what would you be willing to do? Because Jesus, I want you to ask Jesus, what's Jesus' budget? Not for good people, but for terrible people. For sinners who rejected him, who beat him and bruised him. Jesus' budget was his life. He's like, I'll give up everything for you people who hate me now just so that I can heal the relationship between me and you, just so that I can make an opportunity for restoration. So I want to ask you today, do you love Jesus? How far would you go? What would you be willing to do? There are some little slips on the seats here. Um, We do this a couple times a year. We just give you an opportunity. If you want to be part of what's happening here at ACF Church, um, I'd invite you to do it. I think you'll be blessed. Um, If you don't have time for it, I, I would just encourage you to rearrange your time and make it happen. I would encourage you to just ask yourself, what am I doing to show my love for Jesus in the way that I serve the church? What does it look like? And for us, we don't want you just to be busy. We're not one of those churches that wants you involved with everything. We just want you to pick one area. Just one way that you can serve. I think everybody in this room can do that. And I think we all can be part of this, and, and I think that we'll be a healthier, better church. I think our love will look different. I, I think that you will understand God and his love for you in deeper ways as you reach out and serve his church. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for your goodness to us. God, thank you so much that, uh, man, you didn't set a budget for us, but that you went all the way. Um, Father, that you love us to the point of death. And we read this story of Peter, and God, I'm convicted, and I know we're all convicted that um, we we probably don't love your church the way that we should. And so, Jesus, I pray that we wouldn't simply respond with behavior and sign up for something we never intend to be a part of or, um, God, or step forward just just to feel better. God, I pray you would do something in our hearts. I pray you'd transform us this morning. I pray that you would lay upon us a a deep conviction and realization of how much you care for us, how much you forgive us, how much we are, Peter, sitting with you on the side of this this lake, uh, having no no reason to be in a relationship with you, God, but you you receive us and you love us and you forgive us. and, And so, God, I pray that your grace would propel our service. Pray that your love would propel our love for others. And God, that when people meet the community of ACF Church, they would meet Jesus. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.